The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast, episode number 201. I'm Kyle Jones, and of course, we're glad that you're here. Discussing Who, of course, is available wherever you get your favorite podcast. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can find us on social media at Discussing Who. Again, Kyle Jones, and I want to welcome back Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I'm grand, just grand. I can't, I just gobsmacked by the thought that this is episode 201. Good Lord. We didn't think we would make it past one, but well, here we are. We wondered. We wondered. <laughs> and who else wondered? I wonder that might be Mr. Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you? I'm doing great, man. And, you know, happy to be backing in for another batch of <laughs> who knows how many episodes, but you know, it's great to be back, and uh, yeah, let's start this one strong. Well, starting it strong, I, I won't meddle with any news, because mm. I do have a few episodes that we already have in the can before this goes out, and as I've been editing, we've been doing news, and I'm thinking, this news is kind of old by the time it goes out, so <laughs> no news, but for this one, I will say, if you have not seen The Time Meddler, go out watch the episode, but first put us on pause, then go out, watch the episode, then come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Spoiler has gone out, and we are back to review The Time Meddler. This was the final story of Season 2 of Doctor Who, airing in four parts between the 3rd and the 24th of July, 1965. So, some review. What did you think of this story? Lee Shackelford, take it away. Well, I'll mention first that there's actually no Doctor Who story called The Time Meddler, right? This was True. in the first Doctor's era. Each of the episodes had their own name. It's it's why uh, the unearthly child. It's why those first four stories we never quite know what to call them. They're not all an unearthly child. Just that first story is. So anyway, but yeah, uh, this is this is the four part serial that uh, we have come to call the Time Meddler um, as time goes by. And I hadn't seen this in years. It's a uh, it's an interesting atmosphere piece, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a very dark and there's a lot of interesting visual detail. And then there's some story points that just go on and on and on. But I, I still, I really enjoyed it. So how about you, Mr. Brown? Uh, yeah, I think I very much enjoyed it as well. Now I will say, I think maybe the, when they grouped them together, maybe they threw in a fifth episode for what I'm seeing, at least on uh, BritBox. I'm seeing five episodes marked as the time meddler uh, mm. with with the first one being the watcher. Well, yeah. that is the first one, though. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So why is there? Yeah. Uh, OK, maybe I'm just not seeing it right. Interesting. I see maybe the watcher. The, maybe the story was so slow that it felt like five well, episodes. Maybe, yeah, it is. It is four. Maybe this felt like five. Yeah, I, <laughs> I actually four. had to keep yeah checking to see which episode I was watching because I was going, is this four yet? No, it's three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you guys are right. It's, it's definitely four, huh? Why did I think it was five? Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> on me enjoying this, I thought it was pretty good. 
uh, with the doctor being away or asleep for part of it or supposedly asleep, I felt like it was still was interesting and engaging. I was uh, slightly wrapped up in the history of what was going on. And um, it also brings up a larger issue as to who's the real time meddler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. I really enjoyed this one. I love this story because this is the first person from Gallifrey that we see beyond Susan as coming from supposedly the doctor's home planet. So the simple significance right there of that point, this is the first Time Lord that we see, even though he is not referred to as a quote-unquote Time Lord at this time, we still know he's one of the doctor's people. That's one of the reasons I really, really like this one. Now, this is an episode or a story that I will go back and watch over and over a little bit, simply because I love the ending, which I know we'll get to. But (laughs) I did find it a little bit slower this time, but I think it was because I've seen it probably in the last year, year and a half. So I do think it was a little slower, but still, it was very, very good. So Clarence, I want to focus on something you said, because I kept calling this story the time meddler or the meddling monk. And you said... Who is the one who's actually meddling with time? Elaborate. Well, it, it, at least in this story, we, we switch focuses, focus to this, this new character who obviously is doing some things look, seemingly rather altruistically. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it seems like from what I gathered, the things he were doing were mostly good. I guess that depends on what side of the, the fits your own on what he does. But it seems like he was trying to do good throughout time. Now, I could be wrong. You guys can correct me on that if I am. But but uh, that just brings the begs the question, like, who's the real time meddler? Isn't that what the doctor does? Doesn't he meddle with time? I mean, this is way before the whole idea of the fixed point in time thing, which we get in New Who. So um, there's a little more liberty here for them to go and do stuff really to their own whim. Uh, throughout history, although the, the doctor mentions there's rules against it. Um, so, yeah, I found all that very interesting. Yeah, same here. It is uh, this episode. One of the things that, that's interesting about this serial is that it is uh, shows the showrunners trying to come to grips with uh, the the idea of who the doctor is and and uh, his people that he's mentioned before. Surely there are others that, you know, why don't we run into any of these others? So we finally do. And the doctor tells us uh, in the fourth part of this that that non-interference is the golden rule of these time travelers from the unnamed, as yet unnamed planet they come from. Uh, That's the first we've heard of that. And it may be a little bit of a surprise because when we've been in the past before, I don't know if we've ever really heard the doctor say as much before, but it will certainly become a theme in the later series. Just as Clarence said, it's, um, so, and finally the second doctor, he's going to get in big trouble with the time Lords because they say he is a time meddler. <laughs> so, Oh, yep. Yeah. So that, that's right to Clarence's point. Eh? Interesting for this particular episode, this was the first episode or story of doctor who, where 
science fiction elements were also incorporated into a f- series or a story that is set in the past. You know, in, in previous episodes, the doctor and the companions and the TARDIS, of course, would be the only sci-fi element. Everything else would be historical. Whereas this, and third element is put in there, that sci-fi element. You still have the past, but you've also got sci-fi, which I thought was, was kind of interesting. I don't know who's right and who's wrong here. I don't think I trust the monk because he kept lying, of course. You know, yes, he did have to keep his facade going, but the whole... He was very creepy with his, <laughs> oh, yes, my child. Yes, you must do this, my child. You know, it, it, he was very, very creepy. But again, he did have to keep his demeanor going, his facade going. But I want to elaborate a little bit further on the question that we're asking. And I want to pose a question to you guys. If you had that ability, if you had the TARDIS, like the monk did, given the opportunity, would you change time? Maybe not on purpose, but I mean, there's certainly things in my life that I'd like to go back and do differently. But, but I do know it would, it would. We believe in the the butterfly effect. We believe that it would, yeah. uh, it would change everything that follows. Um, and and the the monk is. Um, I mean, I, I love the idea that he went back and few, put a few bucks in the bank, and then he goes forward to collect the interest, and it's made him rich. You know. I think I would certainly want to do that. that doesn't, it doesn't hurt anybody, does it? I mean, I, I guess that's... <laughs> well, it's until you come back to 1985 and then the world is a hellhole, you know. Um... Well, that's... <laughs> so let me ask I'm you this. I'm not gamble with my sports almanac from the future. That's... Because that would be wrong. That would be clearly wrong. What's yeah. the difference in... So, so, so I'm going to pose a question to you. What's the difference between what the monk did by putting the money in the bank, coming back and getting it with the interest and having all the mm-hmm. money as to buying or excuse me, borrowing a quid off of a lovely fellow buying a raffle ticket and then giving that ticket, oh, say, as a Christmas or a right. um, not a Christmas gift, but as a wedding present? Mm hmm. Yeah, we know that the, the doctor does things like that all the time. But but the monk is going to shoot the Vikings so that they won't win <laughs> in, in this uh, this yeah. uh, thing that that uh, presages the Norman conquest. I mean, these these are uh, the language we would use much later is fixed points in history. You don't mess with the Norman conquest. I mean, when the doctor says it's 1066, he 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 clearly recognizes the significance of that. It's like, oh, I, and he understands that that's got to be why why the monk is here. Yeah, and and I have to agree with that because I think everything that the doctor does is it's predicated on it's predicated on people, on relationships, mm. um, and it seems like even though the monk's ultimate goal may have been to do something which he thought was better. It seems like it was by any means necessary to do that. So once you get to that frame of mind, it really goes beyond the point of being good or um, even likable in that sense. So my thought on that or my response to that is where does the monk draw the line of knowing or or where does the enlightenment come for the monk Mm. to know if the changes that he is making makes a different, whether it's positive, you know, effects or not. To me, that's no different than the Ronnie doing what she did, starting an experiment and going back 200 years later to see what the outcome is. You know, 
she's still playing around with time. If he doesn't know the outcome, but if he goes to 1985, as you said, and, <laughs> you know, the world is a hellhole because of mm-hmm. 1066 needed to happen the way it happened. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the genesis of the Daleks. Um, do you go back and kill Hitler? Um, mm-hmm. How do you know what this changed, although you might think it'd be good at the time? How is it going to affect the future? Is it going to be worse? Or is it going to be better? I don't know. This could be <laughs> the thing that triggers, you know, uh, mass chaos in the future. So you, you, mm-hmm. you don't know. Or let's take it in another route. What if there is a horrible event that occurs that ignites a change of something, whatever that and, and, and a change to the positive of something? Mm-hmm. You know, well, and that's kind of the end of Genesis of the Daleks. So the doctor says, you know, that maybe, yeah, think of all the uh, the planets who have uh, banded together, you know, formed alliances because of the threat of the Daleks, you know. Uh, so, but I, I think Clarence has put his finger right on it in that the doctor uh, is concerned about people. And it sounds like the monk is concerned about agenda. And he's got this idea that he's going to improve things which may just mean improve things for him. We've seen the inside of his TARDIS, so we know what's oh, wow. we know what's in, what's interesting to him. So I think maybe we we have to we have to side against him just because he clearly doesn't care. Wow, dude, man, <laughs> I know we don't like to talk about current events too much, but wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> what you just said? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> but <laughs> yep. So let's transition real quick and let's talk about <laughs> Vicky and Steven. And Clarence, I'm curious to hear from you. What did you think of your initial thoughts of Vicky and Steven, the two companions? Uh, I rather enjoyed Vicky, but Steven, I really didn't quite get. Maybe I missed a part early on in the episode. Like, is it, this is his first trip, obviously, because he has to be told that this is a time machine. Mm, Um, He doesn't believe it. He believes in spaceships, but he doesn't believe in time machines. And we met him in the last episode of the previous serial, and we learned that he is an astronaut. Ah. So that's why he believes in spaceships. But um, (laughs) interesting. Yeah. And and we thought we we left him in a burning building in the – that episode. And – but he said he was going to try to meet them at the TARDIS. So hurrah, we find in this one – he he did make it, and that's why his uniform is uh, ruined because he was in a burning building. But, yeah, and I, and I really like both of them. I thought they to see the doctor kind of doing his own thing, and these two, uh, Vicky and Stephen, like working together. I I thought they made a great team. There was a a bunch of great interactions between the two. I mean, even one was one of my favorite scenes where they kind of we're deciding on which way to go. He's like, follow me. And they both went in their own directions. I thought that was, that was very cute. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I like to do all like how they work well together. Again, I like the dynamic of, uh, he not believing this is a time machine. Oh, anybody could, could have put that Viking helmet here. And then he finds the watch and then he finds the recorder, which, you know, discounts, <laughs> discredits, uh, Vicky and the doctor even more. <laughs> But but yeah, I, I thought that duo was was fun together. What about their interactions with the Doctor himself? Um, you know, I think it was par for the course of what I've seen from the first Doctor. Um, you know, again, I having a huge amount of experience with the first Doctor. Uh, their interac- interactions with him, 
you know, I, I feel like he had respect for the two of them. There was a few moments when I feel like he may have been talking down to Vicky a little bit, which he kind of did to both of them. Like, you, you're going to stay here. I'm going to see what's going on, you know. So, um, yeah, it was kind of par for the course what I've what I've known from the first Doctor. Cool. So you've probably learned in these last 200 episodes that 90% of my questions are asked for a reason. And uh, Lee, I'm curious if you are going to agree with what I'm about to say here. The reason I asked Clarence this was because I knew his knowledge and his experiences with the first doctor aren't what mine and yours are, Lee. So I knew he would bring a fresh perspective, hence the reason I asked. My opinion is this is the moment to where we see the first doctor start to transition from being the grumpy doctor that we see in the first incarnate, you know, in the first season with Susan and Ian and Barbara into the more, not necessarily grumpy, but less grumpy, a little more playful version of the doctor. And I think this is where that transition begins. Lee, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And because I had forgotten that the companions in this episode are Vicky and Stephen, I went back and watched the end of The Chase to see where Stephen was introduced. And I had forgotten that that's where we part ways with Ian and Barbara. And once they're gone, the doctor fights with them up to the last second and he's being imperious and high-handed like he does and he forbids yeah he's just plain mean to them and then they're gone and he really looks like he's been punched in the stomach and vicky says you know just kind of goes to him and he says i shall miss them and and i i don't know how much of it was planned but it really feels like that's the moment that he he had never planned to have human companions with him and he's fought with them the whole time about it now that they're gone you know, maybe this is the moment for the whole rest of the series. You know, looking back on it, this is the moment where the doctor decides that he's he he probably always should have a human companion. And the interesting thing going back, because I watched the last 10 minutes of that episode right yeah. before we started recording. And huh. what I found really interesting was and maybe it was the context of, you know, seeing this next set of episodes and then going back in reverse and watching this. I didn't see the doctor saying that line. I saw William Hartnell saying that hmm. line because yeah. his original co-stars, the last two of the three original co-stars for him were leaving. And I saw that more as him saying, I will hmm. miss them than the character saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that's the wonder, wonderful thing about playing fictional characters, you know, that it was, I think it was both. It was both at the same time. Yes. Um, yes. And he, he's the one, uh, as my understanding is that when they were talking about, you know, when, when Caroline Ford said she wanted to leave the show, uh, and they were talking about, you know, um, how to change the cast, um, that he's the one who said, well, it needs to be a teenage girl. And, mm. I, you know, that may be just a story I've heard, but in any case, when, uh, when, um, uh, Vicky is cast and I'm blanking on her name now, um, Maureen O'Brien. Thank you. When Maureen O'Brien is cast, the, so the story is that they, uh, they sort of brought her in to decide on her look. And they said, well, we think we should dye your hair black and maybe cut it shorter. And she said, well, why don't you just get Caroline Ford back? <laughs> Good for her. Yeah, exactly. They said, you know what? You're right. So they left her alone. And she does become very different from from Susan. Because um, I don't think Susan would ever have said to Ian and Barbara this way. Yeah. <laughs> the way that she does. Yeah. Love that. 
Yeah. And, 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 but yeah, the doctor is very accepting of Stephen right from the start. And, and in that last episode, uh, you know, he, he says, uh, hey, so you're coming with us, you know, he says, and, and a very fine companion too, he says to Stephen. So my goodness, he, he really has turned around here. So what do you guys think about the historical setting in itself? Any thoughts on the setting itself? Uh, it's not significant to me because I really I'm not familiar with anything going on historically in this story, which is probably a bad for me. But <laughs> oh, I really <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> I mean, if we'd all been raised in the UK, you know, we would have had the Norman Conquest uh, beaten into our heads. I think um, I have had friends from the UK say, "Don't complain to us about American history. Yours starts in the middle of the 18th century." So mm-hmm. shut up. <laughs> Ours goes way back. Oh, uh, which reminds me, Stephen keeps calling it the 10th century. It's not. It's the 11th century. <laughs> but he but he says it at least twice. Anyway, um, but but yeah, 1066. I mean, for the, for the, this audience, even this audience of kids, they would know that this is important, even if it's in kind of a vague way but it but but they they think and talk of 1066 the way we talk of maybe not 1776 but the way we say 1492 ah uh, hmm. well i will put an interesting tidbit for the two of you that w- mm. that will make it interesting a little bit more that they did this story this story aired in july of 1965 so it would make a little bit more sense why they would do this in the uk that yeah. this would have been in, you know, just a little bit over a year from then. This mm-hmm. was 809 at the time, 899 years. So that's right at 900 years since 1066. Wow. That's true. I never thought about that. Mm. Yeah. So let's go back to the monk himself. So we know that the monk is trying to change time and he locks the doctor up in a room, basically for the doctor being William Hartnell to have a week off a vacation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we come back and then we see the interactions between he and the monk. Were there any scenes between he and the monk that just kind of like really stood out to you? Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I thought in a sense they were having like a battle with the doctor. It seemed like, seems like they were constantly trying to outsmart each other. And one of my favorite scenes is is when the the doctor is actually dresses up as the monk. I did not see that coming <laughs> one bit, but I loved it because you know leading up to that, him he and the monk were kind of like I said having the battle wits. Uh, oh, go get the door! No, you expect me to put that costume on? <laughs> you know, um, I just felt all of that stuff was good, and I I really loved them going against each other in the sense of people being from the same home planet though really there's no inkling of the word Gallifrey here or the stuff we know now it it was it was interesting seeing the genesis of all of that all right Lee what about you Uh, I I, we've got a shout out here to Peter Butterworth who plays the monk um I just think he's fantastic throughout all of this. And and part of it is the the marvelous casting is that we have this kind of mental picture of what monks look like, you know, of what, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Christian monks look like. And, um, and he, he fits the cartoon perfectly. And he has that, that kind of big pleasant face so that when he's, you know, uh, when he's got his hands pressed together before him, and he's calling people my child and so on. We believe him utterly and he knows it. 
Yeah. And then he'll then he'll be alone with just him and the camera, and his face will darken, and you go, "Ooh, <laughs> yikes!" <laughs> you know, and and he yeah. could do that, you know, and uh, so he's just he's just wonderful. Yeah, and of course that second episode is called a battle of wits. So you know, Clarence is exactly right. You get him in the same, you get Peter Butterworth in the same room with William Hartnell, and mm-hmm. give them these, you know, uh, kind of point counterpoint lines to say. And they're marvelous. They're just yeah. so much fun to watch. Yeah. And, and speak. Um, I was going to interject real quick. Uh, speaking to him, like being able to kind of flip on the dime. There's a scene where he climbs up on top of the hill with his binoculars. Yes. <laughs> to, to see if the Viking ships were coming, and then uh, I guess some of the villagers were coming up. He's like instantly went back to monk mode <laughs> and kind of just you know uh, shooed him away in a sense by being the comforting monk guy mm-hmm. for a few minutes. So yeah, you're totally right on that, Lee. He he played both parts of that very beautifully. Yeah, my thing, you know, with him was you you guys are right on everything that you just said, but I never saw him as being comforting. I mean, maybe to the characters he was comforting. So, but for me as the watcher, no pun intended by the name of the episode, but Mm. me as the viewer sitting at home, I'm more on to, I really liked how diabolical he was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, whether it was altruistic or not, whether his, you know, you put yourself up and, 1066, you obviously can go anywhere in space and time that you want to. You come back to, to a very primitive, by our standards in the 21st century, very, very archaic to say the least. And you put yourself up in that. Regardless, yes, you have, which I think was brilliant with him having the other monks on the uh, record player. Right. Yeah. Totally awesome. <laughs> Everybody thinks there's lots of other monks up there. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so, and I just thought that was so cool. A great example of what you're talking about, I think, is that I, I I had forgotten about this part of the story, so I was genuinely surprised when he has one of the wounded Saxons there, you know, who's who's been in the knife fight with the Viking. And he he's rummaging through his first aid kit, which has a big red cross on it, you know. And he <laughs> and he brings him some penicillin. He slips and and says that it's penicillin. He says it's it's a it's a healing herb. And and I was thinking he's really going to help that guy. That's funny. And then we find out it's so he can get some information from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I knew there had to be a selfish motive. <laughs> but but go back a step further. He originally was like, go away. Mm-hmm. His his inclination right. was not let me come in and help you, please, my oh. child. Bring in. It was like go away, come back tomorrow. Take take two aspirin to, to come back tomorrow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but before I actually knew what was going on, I thought he may have been there just to kind of be okay. He's obviously a monk, but sort of be that kind of person that's in authority and know how I want to frame it. Sort of like godlike in a sense, uh, but I guess since he's a monk, it kind of puts that out of the picture. But but that's what I thought they were, it was going from the very beginning. I thought he's just going to be there as a kind of a person with technology in this time in the past, trying mm. to be godlike. That's definitely oh, I what I thought they yeah. were doing. But you know, obviously not. <laughs> so when you went into the story, did you go into it knowing that he was a Time Lord, or did you just think this was the name of a bad guy from Doctor Who? 
No, I definitely did not know he was a Time Lord. At first, because, you know, when we first get on, on Earth, he kind of jumps out the shadows. He's kind of sneaking around his whole arc. He jumps out the shadows and, like, looks at the TARDIS and, like, you know, goes up and touches it. So my thought was that he, like, stole the TARDIS and went and did something and came back. Ah. That's mm-hmm. what I was thinking, but you know, I I had no idea he was a time lord, so I really all of it was fresh to me. Oh, cool! I like yeah. that uh, yeah. idea. What do you, you know of him stealing? That's great. Uh-huh. I, I know I'm focusing on you, Clarence, but I, but but that I've got to ask this question: What did you think when you saw him go up next to that? Whatever it was, was that supposed to be a? Um, what was that supposed to be that the, that his TARDIS was in the shape of? It's a uh, sarcophagus. Ah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. when so when you realized what that was, what, what was your reaction? Uh, I kind of figured that's what it was when they were going in. Uh, I don't know why, but I like, oh, this is cool. You know, now for the people watching this for the first time, they're probably, oh, my God, another tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, with the advantage of being so many years ahead and seeing other tardi tortoises, <laughs> um, it it. I was I was waiting for it. I thought it had to be coming. So, Lee, what about you going back in time and thinking when you first saw this and you realized, oh, wow, this is a Time Lord. What were your thoughts? I think it's another of the best cliffhangers of the whole classic series is uh, uh, Stephen and Vicky going inside and realizing what it is. Um, and, yeah, and you just have to imagine the original audience because the idea that there – I guess we've thought in a vague way there must be others – Right. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the first one we ever see in Classic Who. It's somebody else's TARDIS. Wow. It's a museum. <laughs> and he's got a whole museum in there of stuff that he's frankly picked up and sauntered off with. Yeah. But it's got a TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine yourself. Let's keep on that vein. Imagine mm. yourself in 1965. You're sitting down for an episode of Doctor Who. This has been on, you know, since 1963 now. So we've you know, been a good year and a half, almost two years that the show has been on. And you've got this character. And not only is it another TARDIS, but for all intents and purposes, and I know, of course, budgetary constraints, but as a viewer, you you go in and, wow, this looks just like the doctor's TARDIS. I, I would love to have known what audiences were thinking. Dave Cooper, if you're listening, let us know, because I know you will let us know. I would love to know what people think or thought when they saw that as, wow, what's going on here? Well, the, B- the BBC's oh, website actually has some of that stuff. They were doing audience polling in in those days because you know there were eight million people who watched these ep- this episode, uh, wow. each each part of this serial. You know, which is just staggering to us today. And 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 they the B really wanted to know. You know, what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? And and I was reading those the other day and noticing that a lot of people said. Uh, that they were losing interest in these first two episodes because they just thought it was dumb. And what they hmm. thought was dumb about it was that, you know, this guy's got a wristwatch and it's 1066. That's just stupid. <laughs> you know, he's got a toaster. Right? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah. But no, but that's the whole point is that we want to know why. No, it's not, it's not supposed to be there. What? <laughs> you know? But I don't know. It's just funny that people would kind of sail off in the wrong direction about that. But anyway, but yeah, about this reveal of uh, the monk's TARDIS, I don't, I don't know what people thought about that. But you, you know, this is not something that I had written down. But you know, you 
what you just said prompted me to a thought, which is, you know, we've actually said, even when we're recording, I know we've said it when we've thought about the way we're going to record or the, you know, when we're recording and what we're reviewing is whether or not to take the first part of a two-part story and review it separately. Mm. A lot of times we will, in our recording, say, hey, we realize that this is part one of part two, and sometimes you can't judge it, but judging it, blah, 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 blah. So I'm wondering if it was fair for people to take, even though they were named in separate episodes, this was a four-part story. So I wonder if it was fair to judge it by not knowing how it was going to turn out. Right. So let me ask you guys about the people in the city or the, not necessarily city. It mm, was village. Village. Yeah. What did you guys think of them? Any thoughts about those couple of characters that we got to be introduced to? <laughs> nothing major. I thought they did their jobs. I don't, it, not, nothing really jumped out at me with the exception of the woman that gave the doctor the drink at the very beginning. I thought she was poisoning him. I thought, this is how the doctor dies. This is why he's going to be away. Because I knew he's going to be away for almost a whole episode. I don't know where I heard that. I may have heard you yeah. guys talking about it. Like, so does he get poisoned? Is this going to put him, put him out for a little bit, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's what jumped out to me. And then I loved how the writing uh, kind of let the villagers and the monk and the Vikings all kind of bump heads at the same time to where they were like, they don't know what's going on. I felt like all of that was well done to cause a, a, a bit of confusion as each was trying to figure out, each group was trying to figure out what was going on. Cool. Lee, what mm-hmm. say you? Oh, lots of thoughts about Edith. Um, it, it's, it was very interesting to me how her being attacked by the Vikings is handled. Um, they didn't kill her because she's in the rest of the show. It's not clear what they did to her, but it's clearly something very, very bad. So, once again, it's tea time, folks. Um, <laughs> you know, and you're kind of going, well, then what did they do what I think they did? Oh. And, and her husband says, it's those travelers. Well, it wasn't Vicky then, so it must have been Stephen. Yeah. Wow. So, well, ha- really? But anyway, and then later on, she's fine, and we just move on. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't. So anyway, that, that's just a very strange thing to me. How that the the, the 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 script allows itself to get into kind of into that corner. They can't really <laughs> address yeah. it. So then they pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> it's just it's just really clumsy. But uh, she and the doctor really formed this relationship later on, and it reminded me that um, if you I've seen enough of the first Doctor adventures that are you know, still in existence to see that as the series went on, this became kind of a thing is that he, he kind of flirts with these older (laughs) women in these stories. He almost stays in ancient Mexico Mm -hmm. because in in the the Aztecs. Yeah. So, you know, now we're accustomed to thinking that one of the companions is going to fall for somebody and it's usually the doctor or something like that. But yeah, in the first Doctor days, if we always thought somebody was going to, you know, stay, you know, you you guys go on without me. I'm going to stay here with this person. Who's going to be the Doctor? <laughs> yeah, um, that's interesting. But yeah, he's he's really uh, very well. He, well, he leaves Edith very reluctantly. He's saying, "Oh, charming, charming woman." 
Charming. Uh, yeah, there's uh speaking of tea time, uh how this relates to, you know, <laughs> uh being aired during tea time. There's one moment when the monk is sitting on a rock and I don't know what he's doing, but it looks like he's snorting cocaine. <laughs> he is he is taking snuff. Oh, that's what it is? Yeah. Why does he like rub his nose and I I've never used stuff. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, my 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 grandmother did, and uh, so I I witnessed this as a young person. But yeah, apparently it it feels good in your nose, and huh. oh, I yeah. had to learn all about this when I was uh, in in acting school because sometimes you play in period plays like in the sixteen seventeen hundreds where a lot of people who could afford it did snuff uh, a lot, and so. We always had this discussion about why would anybody put this? It's just tobacco, you know. Why would you put it up your nose? And why did people do that? But anyway, but yeah, that's what he's doing. And he's 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 annoyed at first because the wind is blowing, you know, which is of course he's just going to blow the snuff right off his hands. So he has to put his foot up and then go through this whole thing. But yeah, I guess there were still enough people in 1965 who did it regularly that most of this audience would understand what he's doing. Hmm. Wow. So an interesting segue into the final point that I wanted to bring up. You know, Claire, uh, Lee, you just said that the monk was annoyed by the fact that the wind was blowing away the snuff. That paled in comparison to how annoyed the monk would be in that final scene with the monk. <laughs> annoyed is hardly the word. Annoyed is hardly the word. So... I, I got to pose this one to Clarence again. Clarence, what did you think of what the doctor did to the monk? So he stole his dimensional circuit. Of, well, I forgot what they called it in the episode. Brilliant. <laughs> really, I have to say brilliant. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? And just the awesome little, um, you know, uh, shot at him. Cause, I mean, not only does it not work, it's stuck in this now smaller form sitting in a sarcophagus or in the form of a sarcophagus. So, yeah, I just thought it was brilliantly done. I did not expect to see that. I knew it was going to, I mean, of course, something was going to be wrong with the TARDIS when they pulled that crystal looking thing out. Okay. It's not going to work. Okay. Whatever. You can't shock me anymore now, but yeah, they got me (laughs) because I was not expecting it to, to be stuck in that small state. So yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty cool i thought he was actually going to pull the chameleon circuit from it that's what i thought he was doing at first because he really needs one right they even talk about it they don't call it the chameleon circuit but they talk about it at the beginning of this episode when they're educating steven about time travel so yeah i i I love the ending it was great okay lee what say you well it's it's when we started talking about reviewing this episode, I, that's what I think of. It's the one where the doctor, you know, ruins the guy's TARDIS by, by changing <laughs> the scale of it. You know, that's that's the only thing that I really remembered yeah. about the episode. Great. But um, we, we've been on the planet of the giants and we've seen uh, that whole story happens because the same thing happens to the doctor's TARDIS. You remember mm-hmm. that it's called planet of the giants. But the fact is, uh, it's just the earth, but they are like an inch tall. Um, and, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. And I, and I've always loved that idea and we won't see something like that again until Legopolis, maybe, I guess. And, and then in, in new who we don't see them playing with the size or scale of the TARDIS until, um, flatline. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And I just, and, and I'm glad, you know, I, it's not something I'd want to overuse, but it, it makes for a delicious surprise at the end of, uh, time meddler yeah i love the fact that 
you know, it was still, you know, think about the idea of, and I know how obsessed I can be if I'm looking for something and I can't find it and I spend hours <laughs> going over the same things over and 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 over again. Yeah. Imagine the monk having his working TARDIS, but it's so small that he can't, his, his hand would fill majority of that, uh, you know, control booth from the way it, you know, look whenever he was looking into it, you can't right. physically get in there. It works. It could take off, but you're too big to get in there. Right. And you're stuck in 1066. <laughs> in 1066. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's not what you're used to, which, uh, you know, karma, right? Cause then the doctor is going to be stuck in, uh, in the 1970s for <laughs> a few years. But, uh, there is a gaping plot hole here, which uh, a couple of people online have pointed out over the years that, uh, they they did ruin the the time meddlers you know big plan of going back and forth through history and making all these changes but nobody's done anything about the atomic cannon that he still has up there on the hill <laughs> waiting to shoot the vikings with so he can still do that yeah they left him there <laughs> so oops oops yeah uh, wow oops. i'm marooned yes blow it up <laughs> boom doctor <laughs> Now, here is something before we move to our favorite saying and favorite quote that I did not know was I thought this was the one and only television appearance of the monk. But I did not know that he returned until reading about it earlier in the in the Daleks master plan, which, of course, is a story that doesn't exist any longer. Yeah. Which, of course, I guess you could read up on it and find how he returned. But I have always until today thought that this was the one and the only episode featuring the monk which is interesting yeah great character i, I would definitely see why you'd want to bring him back because uh, yeah I, I i you know at this point you don't have the master so or do you i don't think you do you do not yeah yeah so it, it's yeah bring him back he's he's awesome mm-hmm. bring him back now <laughs> i love him I think we've wondered a couple of times uh, in New Who if, if oh, is this going to turn out to be the monk? You know, actually, you know, we talked about last episode when we were doing our brackets, and we talked about the Dream Lord. For a moment mm-hmm. there, I was thinking, ooh, this might be the monk. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So, favorite scene. Did either of you have a favorite scene? And since I've been giving to Clarence over and over, Lee. What's so you favorite scene? Well, it's easy. I mean, that that moment where the monk realizes that his TARDIS is is always there, but forever out of his reach. Yeah. And his his impotent fury there in the there in the monastery. It's just it, it's it's worth these four episodes just to get to that. Yeah. All right. Clarence Brown, what say you? Uh, I'll have two others i'll say i love the scene when the doctor i mentioned this earlier the doctor dressed as the monk i thought that was pretty cool and um i like it when he and the monk well he had the monk held up with a stick mm-hmm. <laughs> and the monk was going on about violence and stuff i'm like yeah how's he gonna let the doctor just hold him up with a freaking stick and then he mentions he can do all types of things with this stick <laughs> and later on he smacks somebody on the head with it so yeah i, I love the Doc as the monk and Doc holding people up with stick. <laughs> well, he tells him it's a Winchester. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, I would have to say that this scene at the end w- was, 
I'm going to agree with Lee. This was one of the reasons I wanted to review this episode because I just think it's just classic. It's, it's creative. It's clever. It's just cool. So it, it has to be where he kind of, you know, winds up on the, uh, monks. I just, that's my favorite. So favorite quote, and I'll start out with the favorite quote. My favorite quote would be, when the doctor says about the golden rule of time travel, never, never interfere with the course of history. And of course, every time I've read this, since I've written it down, I'm picturing three versions of the doctor together in a scene almost 50 years later, talking about we change history all the time. <laughs> so yeah. that is my favorite quote. So Clarence Brown, favorite quote. Oh, I'm just going to be cliche here. I, I love it when, um, when, Vicky and Steven go into the TARDIS and they, they were just like, it's a TARDIS. The monk has a TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great moment. <laughs> All right. Fingers, man. So, um, Lee, what say you? <laughs> when they first arrive in 1066 and Steven doesn't believe it, and the doctor finds a Viking helmet, you know, <laughs> and he says, uh, uh, well, there you are, young man. What do you think? Viking helmet. Steven says, oh, maybe. He says, what do you mean maybe? What do you think it is? A space helmet for a cow? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's another part of the fun of this episode is you get to see the doctor in Vicky trying to convince Steven that time travel is real. That that was all of those bits were good and fun. I enjoyed them all. Cool. 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 All right. So really quick final rating. And you know what? I'll start out and I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a 3.5 records of uh, harmonizing monks. That's mm -hmm. going to be my rating. 3.5 records of harmonizing monks. Clarence, what say you? Hmm. I will give it, well, I haven't thought of an object to use. I'll give it 4.2 Winchester sticks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'll just mention real quick before Lee goes. Yeah, I just felt like this was a good story. I was never bored. They didn't have a lot of flashy things in this episode, but I felt like it was good writing and good acting that pushed it along and made it all fun and interesting. Cool. All right. Lee. I'm going to give it a solid four horns full of mead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish I had four horns full of mead. <laughs> all right. So I think this is a fun episode perhaps to end our trek at least for now into classic who because i think it's been pretty much we've gone tom baker you know we've had every version of the doctor the original first seven doctors as we know them we've done an episode from each of their eras which i think is very very cool and of course we will come back to series five with our next episode but before we do that i have one final question and that is clarence brown where can you be found on the internet ah yeah if you're into star trek you can check me out on discussingtrek.com where we talk about star trek yeah discussingtrek.com awesome awesome Lee Shackelford, what say you as always i'm going to point people towards relativity podcast Dot com. Awesome. Awesome. And for everyone listening, if you want to check out other things that we are working on, please check out discussingnetwork.com. So thank you always. 
for listening, and we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.